um, so today, though, we're going to close out our time with going through the kind of the mission and vision of Christ's community and kind of where we got where we're at, kind of based on a few of the things that we have in text. And so with that, I'm going to get going. It's going to be hopefully not too much, but my heart in all of this is to show that there's a reason why we, we want to do the things that we want to do. And so starting with the idea of mission, okay? A lot of people are like, what's your mission? What's your vision? I always get those two mixed up. But here's the reality. Our mission's God's mission. Okay, so what I mean by that, it's easy. Like, everybody's like, I want God's mission. Like, no, but like, really, what does it look like in regards to the mission? What I mean by that is that the mission of God, redeeming humanity, reconciling us to himself and each other. Okay, God had a mission. When we read through the Bible, we see that this mission was unfolding from the beginning to the end, okay? Now, the Bible is a story of God redeeming the world, right? And so, now it culminates with Jesus continuing this mission of redemption and reconciliation through his life, his death, and his resurrection. But then Jesus, you know, leaves, right? Jesus was a missionary, right? He was a missionary of God's mission. And then as he goes back to heaven, he commissions us, his disciples, human beings, to continue the mission, which makes us missionaries too, okay? This is absolutely at the forefront of, of everything, how we function and how we see things is that you, me, we're all missionaries. Missionaries aren't only people that go overseas. You are a missionary to your neighbor. You've been placed in this time and space in your neighborhood, and I have as well, to be on mission, right? And so with that, we got to look at the com Great Commission, right? Um, there was a term when we were in L.A., everybody was talking about being missional. My wife hated it. She'd always be like, no, we're commissional. Like, she has cheesy jokes. But this is one of them, right? Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19, it says, Jesus is saying this as before he ascends into heaven. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all the things that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so it starts with this idea of going, right, into all the world, starting in our own neighborhood and kind of going out from there, and make disciples. Now, we talk about discipleship and disciples, it's important for us to kind of understand what we mean when we say that. What this text is not saying is go into all the world and make converts, okay? Now, conversion, coming and following Jesus, is part of discipleship, but that's not the only part of discipleship. Because what we've learned as we read through Scripture is the discipleship begins before belief, right? So somebody could start being this idea, because if we, we want to understand what discipleship, that the word disciple means learner uh, at its basic form. A follower in that culture, a disciple would would follow a rabbi or somebody that they trusted and they would learn from them and they would understand them and they would, they would become like their rabbi in the same philosophy of ministry. And so Jesus is saying, like, make disciples of me, right? And so for some that begins before they start following Jesus, in John chapter 6, verse 66, we see a large quantity of disciples were following Jesus and a lot of them left and they were referred to as disciples, at the end of the day, when I would say discipleship, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 sums up this idea that 
being a disciple is ultimately about being made more like Jesus. And that does involve converting and following him and being born again and having the Holy Spirit reside in us and all of that. But the reason why I'm clarifying this is so often, especially in the church background I was a part of, the ultimate end, the only goal was getting somebody to raise their hand at the end of a service, come forward and follow Jesus. And we've talked about it before, right? I went through the whole go- like the gospel. If you missed two weeks ago, I hit the gospel pretty hard. Last week, I tried to talk about gospel culture. And I've talked about it a lot. But this idea that the gospel was for my past, taking care of my sin, and it was for the future. I get to go to heaven with my, when I die. But that it left nothing for the life that I'm living right now. And so that philosophy would go in with this idea that every person needs to come forward and accept Jesus. That is important. Listen, we're here because we want people to know Jesus, okay? I'm not saying that's not what we're about. But discipleship must go beyond the raising of the hand and coming forward. Discipleship must be to the very last breath I take. Discipleship is important. And so we would say that discipleship is about being made more like Jesus. And I think the Bible would say that as well. Discipleship, also the culture it came out of, was reduced to knowledge. Now, it involves knowledge, right? Jesus said, grow in the, in 2 Peter, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So knowledge about God, knowing about God is part of that. But discipleship can never be, be reduced to a class, okay? Like 101, discipleship 101, I used to teach the class, man. You graduate from the class, boom, you're done, you're disciples. It's like, no, you are before the class and you, there's a lot more to learn after the class, right? Like there's basics, but it's more than just knowledge. Discipleship's done in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 um, by everyone, not just leaders. It's another thing. I grew up in a culture where this idea that, the, that the, the pastors were the ones that discipled and the people were the ones that were discipled. And what that created is a huge burden on the leadership, but also a lot of people wouldn't be willing to have their friend be a part of their discipleship process, and they can disciple each other. It had to be a leader. It had to be a pastor. Listen, I need people speaking to my life as much as you need people speaking to your life, and it doesn't matter who's been walking with Jesus the longest. We all have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We all are part of the body of Christ. We all have a responsibility to care for and love one another and point each other back to Jesus. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. I think so often it's intimidating because you're like, I don't know enough. I haven't gone to Bible college. I, I, listen, as we are following Jesus, we're going to one another and we're saying, let's follow him. We're pointing each other to Jesus. I mean, I love the Andrew, as we're going to go through the book of John, Andrew, Peter's brother was great. He, all he's known for is scripture is taking people to Jesus. That's it. He's like, I don't know, man. Come and see. I don't know. Let's, let's go. Like he, his, his, Four stories is him bringing people to Jesus. That, in a lot of ways, is discipleship. Because as a follower of Jesus, there's times when I need to be brought back to Jesus. Not that I'm not saved. Not that I'm, it's just that I am forgetting that he alone is the source of satisfaction. He is alone the source of rest. He is my identity. He's all of that. And so as we're looking about discipleship, as hopefully you've picked up, it takes place in relationship, okay? This is part of discipleship, me communicating the word, but this can't only be it. And we never want it to be another smaller version of this also, 
right? So often it's like, okay, well, let's just take this and make it smaller. We put it in all the houses, which is good. We're all about community and small groups, and we're gonna, that's launching this fall. Like, that's a huge dynamic of how we function. But there has to be relationship. Because with that comes trust and vulnerability, where I'm able to say, I am not doing okay. And because of the gospel, I'm able to say that and not be rejected. And that person can go, man, where are you trusting Jesus? Where are you not trusting Jesus? Let's, let's go to him together, right? And so we make disciples. We're baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is important as we look at the idea of a new identity, right? That's what baptism really is, is I'm identifying with Jesus, I'm identifying with what he has declared me to be. I am identifying with him, right? So we have baptism, and, it's, and the other part is teaching them to observe all that I've commanded them. And though I'm with you always to the end of the age. The end of the day, and I've got to speed through this because I've just got super sidetracked in discipleship because it's awesome. I know, I know. That's so far to go. Um, here's the reality. A guy came up to Jesus, and he said, What's the greatest commandment, right? I think anybody that's been following Jesus for a little while knows this verse. And Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Different verses kind of add different aspects to that. And the second's like it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. Upon all the law and all the prophets, they all hang on these two commandments. Loving God and loving our neighbor. And that really if we had like, I guess, a mission or vision statement, that is, that's it. We have that, this idea that we're a community formed by God's love, learning to love him and our neighbor more in everyday life, okay? And so what we're teaching people to observe is loving God, being formed by his love, and we're going to talk about this in a second, how it changes us, and then loving God in return and loving our neighbor. Everything else will be taken care of if we do that. It all is taken care of, right? And so he goes through this idea of, of, of all of that, and he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And I think that is part of the good news is that we are not alone in this and that God is with us. And so with that, let's kind of, this idea of being a community formed by God's love, right? The first part of kind of our mission and vision statement is this. Being a community formed by God's love. We start with identity. Okay? We have to start there. It's easy, and I think it's common in this culture to start with what do I need to do? Okay? What do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do. And the answer to that's usually just you need to love God, man, and love your neighbor. That's good. And I'm not dismissing that. But there is something very powerful about starting with this idea that I am loved by God. Like, sit in that right now. Like, you are loved by the Father. Regardless of whether you love Him in return. Regardless of whether you love your neighbor. Like, right now, in your victory or in your failure, you are loved by God. That has a formative effect on me. And here's the reality. And when I start with identity and why I'm saying this is about identity is so often we're asking the question of who am I? What was I created to be? What makes me valuable? What makes me have worth? These are the questions of our culture. 
And identity is so often rooted in two main elements when we are searching for our own identity. It's in my perception and in my action. And what I mean by that is this. I am what others see me as. Right? That's where I value. If you see me a certain way, if you believe I am a certain way, if I'm perceived a certain way, then I value. So a lot of people find it in perception and or they find it in action. I am what I do. I have value because I do this. I have value because I do that. I have value because I, I've done these things. Like, and then some find value in, in possessions, right? I have this stuff, therefore I have value. I've achieved this and I have value. But the reason we need the gospel, the reason why God speaks a different good news is anybody that has pursued that identity, it is so empty and exhausting because it doesn't last. We can't maintain the perception long enough. We can't do enough. We can't own enough. We can't, right? And so the good news of what Jesus is is that God's perception of you, those that are following Jesus, God's perception and how he sees you is based on Jesus' action. So our value and our identity is still based on perception and action, but it's God's perception of you is based on Jesus' action, Jesus' work. So now my identity is based on what Jesus has done for me, which is everything, and my identity is now based on how God perceives me, and that's his child. Jesus' perfection was, he imaged God perfectly, He's done everything necessary, so now we get credit. So this frees us from needing to maintain how we people see us. It frees us from searching out our purpose and value. We have this new identity. We're children of God. We're dearly loved. An identity that is declared and maintained by God. And the more we know Him, and the more we understand Him, and the more we come to experience that, that changes us. It changes us like, you are loved by God. Jesus has done everything. I don't have to maintain. I don't have to run hard. Like I can just press into that space that has a formative effect on us. Which leads us into the second thing, which is this idea that because I am loved by the Father, because God has done this for me, because I have this new identity, therefore I respond by learning to love Him in return more and loving my neighbor. The Bible says that we didn't love him, he first loved us, right? So we're starting in that, that theological statement and we're coming into this space that because I am loved, therefore I'm responding in love. And I think anybody that's been in any relationship ever, there's something so profound about that. And, and I think we've experienced in this idea that as I'm, the more I'm loved by my wife, I, I want to respond with loving her back. It, it's a very logical statement. But learning to love my neighbor uh, and God more in everyday life is a response. And so with that, we have to comment and talk about this idea of worship because that's what it is, right? It's worship. We're responding to God and what he's done. Now, the word worship in Greek is proskuneo, and it literally means to kiss the hand or bow down or pay homage. It is a response to something that we find beautiful and glorious and awesome and majestic and all of that. And so I think if we're looking at it that way, worship is always taking place. Because I may not be worshiping God, but there's other things that's captured my heart. There's other things that I find beautiful and glorious and lovely. There's other things that I'm resting my hope in and I'm trusting and believing 
will provide significance and value in all these things. Worship is a response to beauty and power and greatness and awe. It's something that captivates our thoughts. It's something that occupies our dreams. Worship is something where we can rest our hope. Worship, often the things that we're worshiping also receives the ultimate adoration, devotion, and sacrifice. I try to define this in a way Worship is the gaze of our heart, ultimately. It is a response to the heart to something that we love, enjoy, and hopefully, as followers of Jesus, that spot is God, that he's the one that we see and find beautiful. Jesus talks a lot about worship in John chapter 4, verse 21, as he's talking to the woman by the well, the Samaritan woman, which we're going to get to in a few months. Um, He's talking about, he says, the hour is coming. Or neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and for those that worship, those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So quickly, we see a few things about worship here. First off, worship isn't limited to sacred locations, right? This isn't the only place we worship. Another thing we see is that worship um, can happen without understanding, okay? So just because this might be the first time you're understanding that I can worship something other than God that isn't like a little statue, it doesn't mean this hasn't been happening, right? We can worship without understanding. Um, And we see here that worship is to take place in spirit, right? This internal, spiritual response, but also in truth. Sincerity, uh, no deception, that's what God desires, Another thing we see here is that the Father is seeking worshipers, which I love that. God is not hiding, expecting us to find him, to worship him. God is not sitting on the mountaintop waiting for us to ascend to him. He's come down to us. He is actually seeking us, which is freeing. The background I had is this idea that I must ascend, I must reach, I must find, I must seek. That this, it's a riddle, it's a mystery, it's a thing I've got to understand. I better know the Greek and I better know the Hebrew. I really won't understand God. But we see that God has come down and that God is waiting and God is seeking me. He is seeking worshipers. And so as we are uh, learning this idea, we see that when God, God moves towards us in love, we respond with love. That worship is relational. That the greatest commandment helps us in regards to how we respond. So we're responding to the fact that God loves us, that we've been formed by that, by loving Him in return. And so when that, we talked about the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord God with our heart and soul and might and strength, we see that loving God is multifaceted. And it's good to talk about this because anybody that's been married for any moment of time, we've heard the this book Love Languages, right? You're like, nope, yeah, right? Gifts and time and quali- quality time and gifts of service and touch and all these things, right? We know all that. But we function the same way with God, right? So you talk to somebody like, man, I just love just to like sit in a space and I just feel God's presence and I just worship him and it's amazing and I just like cry and that's, and that's awesome, right? That might be called loving the Lord our God with our heart. It's internal. A lot of times it's emotional. It is this very powerful experiential thing. That's good. But others are like, no, man, like, I don't care about that stuff. 
I want to read theology books. I want to learn. I listen to podcasts. Like, I am in it. Like, I just want to understand the nuances of God and his philo- the theology of it all. Like, I want to know that. And the person, like, sitting there weeping is like, what? Like, I just want to know Jesus, man. Like, but that guy might be loving God with their mind, right? And then you talk to somebody else and be like, listen, that stuff is great, but people need to get the stuff done, man. Like, we got work to do. We got to set up. We got to tear down. We got to do it all. Loving God with all my strength, okay? I'm loving God physically. I go on hikes. I want to see the world. I want to work. I want, right? Here's what's crazy is we can drive each other crazy because we're not loving God the same way we value. Just like in marriage, we can go like, man, oh gosh, man, okay. So my, I get married, right? We all, this all, in our first year, you're like, okay, what the heck is going on here, right? Like, holy, I'm totally missing it. We first get married. My, how I naturally showed my wife that I loved her was acts of service. I would do stuff for her, buy her stuff. Fun fact, she didn't care about that stuff, right? <laughs> She's like, and I'm like, what? I'm doing all this? She's like, I don't care. I want you to spend time with me, right? Quality time, like, I want you to sit there. I want you to hold my hand, right? And I'm like, okay. So then she's doing that stuff with me, and I'm like, let's do some stuff. Like, let's buy, like, give me gifts. I don't know. Like, we're different, right? So, like, how we show love and how we receive love can even be different. Here's what's crazy. Fast forward almost 20 years later. Now, my wife's like, do the dishes, right? Clean the house. Like, help me. Like, her love language changed, right? So the fun of marriage is you never know where to stand. You're trying to figure all the ways to love your spouse. Here's the fun fact. As we start following Jesus and we're learning how to love him more, sometimes how we love God changes. Where when we're younger or when we first off, it might be something and then it might change. But God being way more vast than any wife and way more amazing and way more loved, there, he's so great that we can never exhaust the ways to love him back. While at the same time, we can be patient with our neighbor or friend who's loving God in a different way. That is, as we're learning, right, to love God more in everyday life, that's what I'm talking about. That it might be service, it might be learning, it might be emotional, it might be this idea of, of soul and prayer and quietness, and we might just want like contemplative times, right? But we're learning to love God. But also, we're wanting to learn, as we're responding to God in that way, how to love others, right? That involves action. And it's hard. Because I'm loved by God, and I'm loving God in return, I want to respond by loving others. Hebrews 13 says this, Through Him, then, let's continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God, worship, that is the fruit of their lips, acknowledging His name, and do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we want, and we're, we're learning to love our neighbor, our friend, the person sitting next to us. And the Bible tells us that that is how we're known to be followers of Jesus. That is the one thing, as the world looks in, that is the element that people look at and say, there's something different about that. Jesus said that. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love that you have for one another. The reason why it took me 
all this time to get here is if we don't start with the fact that I'm loved by God and I'm just being formed by that, if I'm not then responding by loving Him more, then I am not going to be able to love my neighbor. You might be able to pretend, but it won't be love. You can try your best, but you will get so wiped out because your neighbor is probably not going to love you back. The person next to you that you care about or the friend that you're bringing, whatever, they, their life is crazy. Like they, it, it's going to be exhausting. Like we will be doing it not out of fullness, but out of emptiness, I guess. Let me put it that way. As we are filled, we're able to pour out. We're filled by the greatest source, and that's God and God alone. And so as we do that, we see that functioning in two main aspects, and I'll go quickly, is that, that we are going to communicate the gospel and that we connect the gospel. Communicate the gospel is often what I'm doing up here. But communicating the gospel is not only what I do up here because you also can communicate the gospel, and it's not only words, but it's also deeds and actions. I would say it this way, declaring and embodying the good news of who God is and what he has done for us in the world. Right? That's, I would say that's the gospel. It, it obviously starts with God. It, it culminates in Christ, in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection. But really, this idea is it's, it's changing how we see the world, and we're pointing each other back to him. We're reminding each other to stand in awe of him. We're having our affections stirred for God. That is really what it comes down to. And then we connect the gospel in everyday life, and I would say that's going to take place and should take place in community. That's a very relational aspect. That's where we're taking these truths and we're going like, what does that look like for me as a husband, as a, as a father, as a coworker, as a friend? What aspect of, of not believing about God, his goodness, his graciousness, his glorious uh, aspects of him, um, what of these things am I not believing? And how is it affecting how I'm loving my neighbor, loving my kids, loving my wife? Because at the end of the day, it's starting from the fact that I'm loved by God, I'm loving Him in return, I'm believing truths about Him, right? And therefore, it's causing me to function a certain way. So when the functioning is breaking down, the answer isn't do better. The answer is, what am I not believing? What am I not trusting? What about God am I dis distorted on? What else am I worshiping? What else am I trusting for my satisfaction, right? And community is that context where we're able to point cheap people back and say, are you believing this? What, what's going on here? I hear these words, and it seems contrary to what you say here. Like, and it's a safe place because the gospel, I'm, my perception is sealed by God, right? Because of Jesus' action. Therefore, I'm not at risk of being rejected because, because what you're saying, like, it doesn't change who I am. At least it shouldn't. And so, practically, if you have time, you can spend time studying in, in Colossians chapter 3. I'm just going to read it, but practically it looks a little bit like this when we talk about community. By community, I mean intentionally living in relationship with other people. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. 
and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is a beautiful description of what community looks like. That is written in plurality to a audience, to a community. It was not meant to be just individually taken in. And so by seeing this take place, it changes. And so how we see community thriving and growing is going to be with these ingredients. When I say ingredients, you know, we might add a little more than the other person, right? But at the end of the day, we're trying to bake a cake, right? Community is the cake we're trying to bake. It's going to start with dependence on God to change others and us. Has to start there. Trusting that God is going to make me more like Jesus, and I'm trusting God's going to make you more like Jesus. If we go into this space trying to change each other, we're going to fail. And everybody's going to fake it, and everybody's going to pretend. We've all been there, right? I grew up there. And everybody's like, everything's great, man, everything's great. You're like crying inside, like, and then you find out later, you're like, like, Bill's like, I'm getting a divorce. You're like, what? What happened? Well, we've been struggling for a long time. I'm just hearing about it. And I know I'm making, like, but that is so, because there was no space for people to go, you know what, I am not doing good. We are not doing good. God is the only one that can change somebody. This is going to therefore need a focus on prayer and a dependence on the Holy Spirit. The second thing is submission one to another as we submit to God. This is found in Ephesians chapter 4, God and his word. Community is necessary. We, ha- we come into a space going, I need you. I need you. And I'm going to trust you to love me in a way that, that is scary. And that's mean I'm going to be vulnerable. And that's scary. And I'm going to trust this group of people with my life. And that's scary, and it takes time, right? So I'm not saying it's not just like tomorrow you walk in and like, this is all my stuff, and I'm just, you know, and we're like, oh my gosh, like, okay, let's figure out how to navigate this, right? But I, I get that it takes time, but there's an aspect of submitting one to another, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Number three is intentional, intentionality and modeling and communicating the gospel in relationship. It's like I said, a safe place to work through our doubt and our idolatry and all this while pointing people back to the hope and grace of God. And then lastly, it's a commitment in seeing our friends, our town, and our city come to know, love, and enjoy Jesus. Community cannot be a club. It cannot be a club like we're only certain. Like, we've been doing this for five years, go find another one. Like, we have to have a commitment. Like, we need to know. Like, this is our, this is our heart. We want to see our city and our neighborhood come to know Jesus. That's, we're wanting all of the world. We want to see Jesus' church flourish in every neighborhood of our city. And so, that's what we're after. Here's one of the cool things. As we have this take place, areas that you're going to see like fruit popping up that we'll know that there's health taking place is that we're going to see people, we'll see true worship ultimately. Jesus will be seen as the hero. If we're in community and we're seeing Jesus as the hero, like where people are trusting, talking about him and hoping in him, that's going to have a changing effect. We're going to see that that's healthy. We're going to see love, joy, kindness, peace, gentleness, you know, self-control, all of the things that we see, the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to see generosity with time. We're going to see generosity with our talents. People are getting involved. We're going to see generosity with finances. We're going to see generosity. And lastly, we're going to see disciples being made that makes disciples. Us being one of those.